Hi, my name is Juliette Selgren, and this is my podcast, The Great Antidote. This podcast has been brought to you by the Center for Growth and Opportunity at Utah State University. To learn more, visit www.thecgo.org. It is my immense pleasure today to talk to Lenore Skenazy, who is the proprietor of the Free Range Project. She has a TV show called The Worst Mom in the World, which, no? No, no? and actually, um, a lot of these little facts are slightly wrong, so can I just fix them? Oh, yes, yes, okay. of course. So, um, so I founded the Free Range Kids Movement, Yeah. right? And I'm president of a nonprofit called Let Grow. Everyone thinks it's let it grow or let's go or whatever. It's just let grow. <laughs> and my TV show is World's Worst Mom. That's what it is. I'm really yeah. bad with names. So I was Me like- too. I can't even tell you <laughs> how um, how mortified I've been by some of my mistakes. <laughs> let's just put it that way. A whole profile of a person with the wrong last name, completely wrong last name that I pulled out of somewhere else. So yeah, don't feel bad. <laughs> Well, so she's also written an article, and this is kind of where she blew up and kind of was thrown into the spotlight, was this article that she wrote about her son, her nine-year-old son riding the New York subway. And she helps terrified parents kind of learn to grow past their, their helicopter parenting and kind of to let their kids grow. They let grow. And the kids are free-range kids. So welcome, Lenore. Well, thank you very much, Juliet. Before we get started, I want to ask you the question that I ask all my guests, which is, what is the most important thing that people my age or in my generation should know that we don't? Oh, yeah. I'm like, spoiler alert, you asked me this yesterday, and I've been like perseverating on it for 24 (laughs) hours now because like, oh, my God, here's my chance to talk to the rising generation. What would I give my wisdom? And it actually just boiled down to something pretty obvious, which is give everyone the benefit of the doubt. The people you think are mean, jerks, bullies, you know, can I say it? Assholes, uh, the people who you think don't like you, the people you think have it out for you, give them the benefit of the doubt and you will be more often surprised in a good way than bad. And uh, you can have a lot more fun in your life that way. I think that's a great response. That's something, especially now, I think that we all have to keep in mind and that it's so, it's so easy to say that that's what you do, but it's difficult to actually do it and to know for sure that that's what you're doing, even though you think you might be. I will definitely keep that in mind. I hope my listeners do too. So so. first, I want to talk about the free range kids movement and how that started. So as I mentioned earlier, in April of 2008, you wrote a column for the New York Sun titled, Why I Let My Nine-Year-Old Ride the Subway Alone. Um, So can you kind of fill us in on the rest of the story, but why you decided to let him do that and why you decided to talk about it in such like, like to publish an article like that. <laughs> well, uh, first of all, publishing articles was my job at the time because I was a columnist at the New York Sun. And um, what happened that particular day is that I had to come up with a column idea and I didn't have one. And a couple months before that, anyways, the, the deal was that the nine-year-old had been asking if we would take him someplace he'd never been before and let him find his own way home on the subway. This was his biggest desire. He wanted to be grown up. He loves the subways, public transportation. We're in New York City. We're on these all the time. And so we finally said, okay, yes. And so one sunny Sunday, I took him to a place he'd never been because it was too fancy a department store for me to shop at, which was Bloomingdale's. And I said, okay, today's the day. And I left him in the handbag department and I sallied home on a bus and he had to take the subway and then another bus and he came home ecstatic that he had done something grown up just like a real person not just a baby he'd been on the subway and there I was two months later with nothing to write for my column and I asked my editor should I write about him taking the subway some of the other fourth grade moms thought they would wait till their kids were like like their age, like in their 40s before they would let him go Ooh. so my editor said sure write it it's a nice local story 
So why I let my nine-year-old ride the subway alone goes up on a Tuesday. And by Thursday, I'm on the Today Show, MSNBC, Fox News, and NPR defending myself and getting called America's worst mom. And it just uh, snowballed from there. So in the column, you write that, quote, half the people I've told this episode to now want to turn me in for child abuse, end quote. Can you tell us a bit about the difference between parents today and parents of the past and kind of what caused that change to occur? I can. You know, we can sit here for 12 hours and I'll do it, but I'll I'll try to (laughs) boil it down um, because – um, I didn't grow up in the city. I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. And so I wasn't letting, you know, I wasn't riding the subway at age nine because I wasn't anywhere near a subway. But um, but back in the day, I, I, you know, it was normal to let your kids start walking to school in kindergarten. It's not like me making this up. It's not like I come from Mars. I come from Wilmette, Illinois. And when I was five years old, I walked to kindergarten. And when he got to the corner, there was a 10-year-old, you know, a kid, a fellow kid, who would usher you across because back in those days, we actually trusted kids to be part of the world as opposed to shielded from it all the time. So your question is what's changed since then that now we won't even let 10 year olds sometimes walk to school or sometimes parents will feel like they should stand next to them at the bus stop or even keep them in a car till the bus comes and then let them out of the car and go onto the bus. And it's a lot more involved and, um, demanding of the parents. And that's why I don't blame the parents. I feel like, they are part of this culture that keeps telling them that they must be doing everything with or for their kids or their kids are going to be hurt or fall behind. And so it's all, so they just see their job as to be uh, sort of intensively cultivating their kid and, and keeping them safe. And the reasons for this are, you know, 24 hour news cycle. We live in a litigious society. People start thinking like lawyers, is this going to come back to bite me? Should I just prevent it from happening? Experts are there. Usually I have a copy of Parents Magazine next to me to to open somewhat randomly and, and <laughs> castigate them for giving us bad advice. My One of my favorite ones um, of late, actually, this was a pretty while ago, like a couple of years ago, was um, the 10 hidden dangers in your home. Can you guess what number one was? Uh, I would say like a microwave, but I don't, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> they they do talk about microwave safety elsewhere. Um, no, they said the laundry hamper, the laundry hamper. What? Not the laundry <laughs> machine, but the laundry hamper. Yeah, yeah, right. I guess you know oh. if they thought a little harder, they could have gotten to the machine. But they thought the laundry hamper, and I'm sure it was somebody like me, a freelance writer, stuck you know late at night trying to get to you know 1,500 words, and uh, the laundry hamper because uh, it can um, th- you know some of them are made with a wire sort of circular wire thing that holds the the laundry hamper up. And if the wire somehow gets out of its casing and springs forth and your eye happens to be next to that right at that horrible moment, your eye could get lacerated by the wire. I mean, they really, they they come up with these fantastical um, terrors and they plant them in parents one after the next issue. Uh, There was an issue over the summer that was telling you how to read to your child. And it wasn't like, how about open a book? <laughs> you know, how about look at some pictures? It was like, remember, this is your chance to raise a reader. And I'm a therapist who deals with reading issues. And here's what you should do. And it started telling parents, when you're sitting with your little kid who can't read a book yet, start counting the numbers of words in the title, because that will get their numeracy going as well as their literacy going. And it's like, ah, this is too much. Parents are being told that every second their kids are in danger of you know, eye lacerations or falling behind or being innumerate. And really, you know, it's not that hard. You have some books around the house. You let your kids wander. You let them play outside. You let them, you know, help you out with stuff around the house and they're going to learn. But it's all it's all been seen through the lens of what potential disaster could befall your kid. And of course, the biggest one is abduction. So when I let my kid out of my sight in public, that's why people hated me, because what if he was kidnapped? And to think, what if he was kidnapped is like, why should I even stand under a tree? Sometimes trees fall. I mean, how much worry are we supposed to ingest? And the answer is it's infinite. It's a a great it's a great model. It's a great <laughs> capitalist model for getting people to buy things and enroll their kids in classes and buy new devices that will keep their kids safe. All the, you know, there's there's all these devices that can tell you what your kid's heart rate is while they're sleeping. I mean, it just it drives parents crazy, and then oh, they think God. they have to do more and more. Yeah, That's, I'm stopping. I, mean, <laughs> I don't even. 
Yeah, yeah. I can imagine the list goes on and on and on. Some of the things that I've seen, it's just some stuff that I couldn't even imagine. And I've kind of grown up. Well, my mom is more of a let your kids learn themselves type of person. But I've grown up around people who have dealt with that. And some of these stories are still shocking to me. So I don't know. So I want to hear those stories. I mean, tell me, you're the one who's 17. Tell me what you're hearing from your friends about things that they consider either excessive, like, wow, that's too much, or necessary that you think um, isn't necessary or aren't necessary because of a different perspective that you have. So some of my friends are not allowed to go ski or not, not skiing. They're not allowed to go sledding. Skiing is not even a question. It's you're not allowed to go outside and sled in your own neighborhood, which, what? Part of me is like, okay, if you're really worried, you can wear a helmet. But Mm -hmm. if you never get a bruise, you're not going to, what? I don't know. Um, But then there are also some, and we're also grown up. We're almost adults. (laughs) So to me, I'm like, why is that still a rule? I don't understand. Um, There are also- Wait, wait, let me ask you a question about that. So um, do you say this to your friends? Like, gee, that doesn't sound fair or fun. No, I mean, I don't know how much you want to in- interrupt their lives with your own <laughs> ideas. Yeah. So it's more they are complaining in the first place. So I don't really have to be like, that's really messed up, I think, <laughs> because they do too. Um, but so it's kind of this shared frustration and at least I don't have to deal with that, but they do. So it is frustrating for everyone. And of course they do it anyways. You go That's to what someone I was else's ask. house. Do they? Do they? Okay. Interesting. You go somewhere else and you go sledding. Your parents, as long as there's no like video tracker on you, they can't see that. But also trackers, not only on your phone, but on the car and on the car keys and oh, all of these really? things. And part of me is like, okay, like one tracker maybe, but I'm also like, I don't, I don't know. I feel like, especially in this time, because a lot of it has been put in place during COVID. And so I'm like, that doesn't make that much sense because they're not letting their kids go out anyways. So I don't understand how putting a tracker on the car when they're not allowed to leave the house is going to (laughs) do anything, but they do it anyways. And it's just, another added level of frustration because then you're thinking, well, you, there's already a rule and then you just further don't trust me. So, and these are 17, 18 year old kids. Um, I heard a story um, from one of my friends a few weeks ago during track. She's a junior and she was talking about how one of her friends um, didn't turn in an assignment and his mom emailed the teacher and was like, you have to let my kid do this assignment. But the kid didn't talk to the teacher, didn't email the teacher, didn't even initiate any sort of, hey, I need to do this. There was no reason for the parent to then be like, hey, this is messed up. Like, you should let my kid do this. It was like the parent was the first step. The first responder. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Catastrophe, right? It was it was so weird and we were all very weirded out by that, but also just, is that the kid just not knowing what to do and then deferring to the parent or is it the parent that is saying, Oh, you have a missing assignment. I'm going to do this. And the kid doesn't care. I wasn't entirely sure, but no matter what, it just doesn't sound great. So that's, that's some of the crazy stuff. Can you, can you tell us some of like the craziest stories you've heard of parents' behavior? Well, I will, but I'm going to preface it with this, which is that um, in a society that, I, I mean, I'm guessing that the parent of that kid who didn't hand in the assignment has been bombarded all of their adult life with stories about if your kid doesn't do well in high school, then they're not going to get into the college of their choice. Then they're not going to get to their, you know, desired job afterwards. And they're going to end up, 
you know, sad or failed or, I mean, everything is written in terms of catastrophe. If you don't get the good grade, then you're not going to the school, then you end up in the gutter. If you ride the sled, then you're going to break open your skull, then you're going to be in the hospital for the rest of your life. You know, if you're standing at the bus stop, you're going to be kidnapped. We'll never hear from you again. That's why we have to put trackers on your hair, your nose, your throat, and your toes. Um, It's all, there's something really interesting about this moment which is that we believe two things. One is that terrible things are going to happen if we do anything at all wrong, anything suboptimally. If the kid gets a B, if the kid gets a scrape, if the kid comes home late. Um, And then there's this other side, which is that if we just put in enough safeguards, if we're talking to the teacher, if we're tracking our kids, if we're watching their grades on whatever portal there is, if we're, um, you know, on top of everything, we can control their fates and make their lives perfect. And it's it's an enormous burden on parents because you can't make anybody's life perfect. But if you think you can, you're going to drive yourself crazy with constant oversight and worrying and castigating yourself. And then it sort of eviscerates the kid who's this vessel for, okay, my mom told me I could do this, but I can't do that. Um, I'm not ready for this. I'm not ready for that. And um, I I've had such interesting... I guess, experiences with this. You're asking for a story of what's the craziest over parenting. And and I'm going to tell it from another point of view, which is that there's this school um, that I love this particular teacher. She's like the health teacher. I don't know, mental health teacher, whatever. She has 247th graders that she sees. And she called me in a couple of years ago because they were the most anxious kids she'd ever seen. And she had them write, um, uh, you know, fill out a worksheet. And one of the questions was, what is something that you like to do? I'm actually going to look it up one second in my, my files right now. So you're, you're, you're hearing this in real time, looking up seventh graders, seventh grade, seventh grade. Yeah, seventh grade worksheet quotes. And she asked, what is something that you'd like to do that you haven't done yet on your own because you've been a little hesitant or whatever? And where are they? My seventh grade quotes. Well, okay. So, um, so these quotes are from uh, kids who are basically 12 or 13 years old. And the question was, what's something that you're ready to do, but you're a little hesitant about trying? You think you're ready to do, but you're a little hesitant. Um, uh, I was hesitant to try walking my dog alone because I was scared he would get loose from the leash or a scary man would take me. Another person. I was afraid to climb a tree because I was scared I was going to fall and break a bone. Another kid. I wanted to try doing a wheelie on my bike, but I was scared I might hurt myself. Another kid. I was afraid to try and cook because there's an open flame and I could get hurt. And then um, this is just one of three kids who had the very same answer, which was I was hesitant to use a sharp knife uh, because my parents hadn't let me. So um, what's upsetting to me about these, and now I got to find you again. There you are. Um, is that just like the parents worrying that the sled ride is going to end in death or the car ride is going to end in death or the B minus is going to end in death. These are kids who have internalized it. If I walk the dog, the dog will get off the leash. That almost never happens. Uh, you know, I don't want to uh, climb a tree. I'm going to fall and break a bone. I mean, climb, don't climb too high, <laughs> you know, practice. I thought I was afraid to cook because <laughs> there's an open flame. It's, I guess it's an open flame, but it's not like a bonfire in the kitchen, right? It's not a raging out of control wildfire, right? It's not California <laughs> in September. It's the, 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 the range, right? And, and the kid who didn't get to use a sharp knife, I, you know, I keep thinking like, how can I make my point of view seem a little less radical <laughs> and yet so this is a bad idea. But what I wanted to do for a video was to have a kid <laughs> with a knife and show how hard it is to cut off your finger, which I, I, I can't figure out how to do that. But if you can, I, I just want to, it's not easy to cut off a finger. You know, most of us have never cut off a finger and we've used our knives for a long time, even if we weren't using them at age 12 or 13. And so everybody is seeing things through this lens of catastrophe and then the kids internalize it and think that they're not capable think that if they try to do something they're going to mess up and and once again either one of two things will happen one is that they'll be hurt you know they'll be physically hurt they'll 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 break a bone they'll they'll fall they'll they'll cut off a limb uh, and the other thing is that they'll be humiliated right? I wanted to go into a store, but I hadn't been in one without my mom. I wanted to order the pizza, but what if I get it, get it wrong? Um, yeah. One one said, I wanted You're to go see a movie dark. by myself, but what? I didn't have anyone to keep watch over That's... me. It's like, it's, 
you eventually. Oh, yes. Oh, my. Or you're not sitting in the dark because the dark is dangerous. You're sitting at home, right? But you're right. The whole idea is that you're, you're, the, the key doesn't turn in the ignition, right? Because you haven't been allowed to turn that key because the parents are turning it for you and driving you where you need to go, literally and figuratively. So that's what interests me the most. How did we get to the point where we don't trust kids to do anything? And especially... You know, I have no idea how old your mom is, but at least I'm old enough that I remember having freedom as a kid. And I wonder what's going to happen when your generation is having kids and you didn't ever, you know, and somebody called the, you know, the teacher for you when you got a B or you didn't hand in something or you never got to sled. I mean, there's not, they're not going to sell any sleds anymore. Well, I, I will be that rogue parent that is handing out like trash can covers to just the kids on the block. Yeah, one dollar. We'll just start from the beginning again. All of these businesses, like all of these products, will have to be revived. That's what. That's, that's what I think would happen. I don't know. I, part of me feels like it could reset, so that kids become more free again. But part of me is also worried that it will just change completely, and then growing up in childhood would look completely different. And there would be no notion of freedom at all. And there would be no sort of similar experience to how it once was. What do you think? So, I mean, I already kind of. <laughs> Wait, are you say exactly what I worry about. That's, that's exactly me. You know, either it's going to become so crazy, you know, nobody wants to be in Wally, you know, just sitting there strapped to a, an easy chair with, you know, food being digested through a straw. But, but if you, you know, I think maybe immigrants will bring some of these wonderful things from their countries and that's what will reintroduce the idea of sledding or climbing or chopping or shopping, <laughs> you know, I mean. What is, I don't know, what are, what do you project, like, what do you think these kids are going to look like when they're adults and when my generation and the generations younger than me become adults? Hmm. Um. Well, here's where I go off message, off my own message, frankly, which is that once again, this, it's this believing and giving people the benefit of the doubt. I, I give it to your generation too, which is that while I think that these protections are excessive and almost ridiculous sometimes, I also think that, you know, you seem totally together and your friends <laughs> who aren't supposed to be sledding are sledding. So I'm I'm hopeful nonetheless that eventually, you know, you seize the reins and say, yes, I can and start doing all sorts of things on your own. But what I worry about is that I see the numbers and it seems like there's a lot of anxiety and depression among young people. And that worries me because that sort of feeds upon itself. It makes you sort of less ready to try things and do things when you are feeling depressed or anxious. So I feel like you handing out those uh, garbage can covers is a, is a public health service. <laughs> <laughs> so you not only document and talk about the way that parents are problems in kind of continuing this cycle and kind of changing the way that kids think about themselves, but also the way that the parents think, but you also talk about how the authorities and the government believes that parents are neglecting their children and how parents are getting in trouble with the authorities because of acts that are more free range than helicopter parenting. So can you give us some examples of that? But also, what do you think, I don't know, what do you think that parents with these intense fears are doing in terms of government intervention? Are they pushing it? Are they going to change the laws permanently? Or do you think that there will be pushback to that? I'm pretty hopeful about the laws. You know, in 2018, Utah became the first state to pass what they call the free range parenting law, um, inspired by, I'd say, my book and movement. And it says that letting kids uh, walk to school or walk anywhere, play outside, wait briefly in a car or come home with a latchkey, i.e. stay home alone for a little bit. Um, those are normal things that kids can do. Um, and they should not be mistaken. The parents who let them do that shouldn't be mistaken for neglectful. And then <clears throat> since then, 
Um, there have been uh, right this year, there are five states that are considering similar laws. They're called reasonable childhood independence laws. It's Idaho, Nevada, Oklahoma, Texas, and South Carolina all have laws that they're proposing this year. And, and what's great is that, you know, some parents are free rangers and they want their kids to, you know, walk to school or sled or whatever. And then some parents don't have a lot of money and the mom is working two jobs. And so she's coming home, you know, at six o'clock and, and her kid has been home for two hours. And that should also not be mistaken for neglect. You can't mistake poverty for neglect and you can't mistake, you know, sort of reasonable decisions that parents make, or sometimes it's a decision made at, you know, in a split second, like, you know, your husband's car broke down and your six-year-old is home with the eight-year-old and he's stuck at the train station and you can either take them both with you, but one of them has a cold. So let them just stay there and watch cartoons and you'll go get them, you know, and somebody says, oh, there's an eight-year-old home with a six-year-old. That's not neglect. That's called life. That's called everyday parenting. And so I've been bringing these issues to public attention for many years at this point. And it's been good and bad. It's been good because there's a lot of sympathy for the parents and a recognition that neglect is something else. Neglect is when you're, you know, not when you're putting your kid in real danger or, you know, just um, blatant disregard for their safety. So I'm glad that these laws are all being proposed. Um, what I don't want parents to worry is like, oh, my God, I didn't realize that letting my eight-year-old stay home for half an hour could be mistaken for neglect. And I want to reassure parents that it generally isn't, but there's no reason it should ever be. Parents shouldn't have to second-guess their everyday parenting decisions when they know their kids and they know what makes sense for their family. So I feel like I feel like the the zeitgeist is on the side of these laws now, and, and it's because of some very famous cases. The the one uh, there was one in uh, Maryland where a mom let actually a dad, um, but it all got blamed on the mom let uh, their kids ages ten and six walk home from the park, and they were investigated for neglect, and um, that became a cause celebre. And then there was this this equally horrifying case in South Carolina where a mom named Deborah Harrell. Uh, she had a nine-year-old daughter and uh, it was it was summer vacation and the mom worked at McDonald's. And so every day the kid would come with her to McDonald's and sit at a table and play on her laptop while her mom did her job. But then there was a burglary and their, um, their house was broken into and the, the laptop was stolen. At which point the nine-year-old said, look, it's the summer. Can I go to the park? <laughs> you know, it's fun. There's, there's a sprinkler there. It's, you know, there's a ton of kids and there's actually a ton of adults because it was a tar- park where they also served breakfast and lunch. So a very thriving, popular place. And so the mom says, okay, and gives her a cell phone, you know, in case you need me, here you go. And then the girl goes there day one, day two, day three, this lady comes up and says, little girl, where is your mother? And she says, oh, my mom's working. It's like, working? And yes. Anyway, so the so the girl said, my mom's working. Do you want to call her? Here's my phone. And she said, no, no. And instead, the lady called 911. And the police came. And they got the girl. And then they went to McDonald's. And they arrested the mom. And they threw her in jail. <laughs> and they took the daughter away for 17 days. And um, this, this story is up at Reason if you Google Deborah, D-E-B-R-A, Harrell, H-A-R-R-E-L-L at reason.com. You can read, you can, you can watch the interrogation of the mom by, I guess, the sheriff or the policeman. It's like, so you thought your daughter would be okay, huh? It's like, yeah, I thought she'd be fine. It's like, oh, well, you don't think about the worst things that could happen. It's like, well, no, because she had a phone and she was near me and it's a local park and it's popular. It's like, oh, so you thought she'd be okay. And this guy was acting as if the mom could care less if the child was, you know, kidnapped and never heard from again. Whereas the mom had made a, a rational decision about a nine-year-old, not a three-year-old. And um, somehow that was considered not her prerogative. It was, it had to be the, the person with the worst case scenario in their head gets to win. And that got a lot of people's goat. You know, I, you have to make decisions based on reality, not on the worst ideas you can dream up and a Liam Neeson movie mashed together with a Law & Order SVU episode. I mean, <laughs> that's not reality, right? And in the end, what was great is the entire American public ended up weighing in on this and being 
outraged on the mom's behalf. And how dare you take away the kid for 17 days? You know, you say that it's, you don't want anything bad to happen to the kid and you've suddenly plopped her into somebody else's home for 17 days and thrown the mom in jail. Mom was only in jail for one night, but a night in jail. I've never spent a night in jail. How horrible. And for trusting my kid and a nine-year-old kid. I was at, like we said, I was at five years old walking to school at nine. I could certainly be at the park without somebody thinking my mom should be thrown in jail. But the other thing is if she was only in jail for one night, they definitely were keeping the kid, not just because the mom was in jail. They were actually doing like full-on investigation. You're not good enough to be a parent. What sort of message does that send when the authorities are telling people or acting on these calls? Mm-hmm. And when 911 shows up, takes the kid, like puts the parent in jail or gives them a super hard time or if Child Protective Services shows up, what does that teach the kid and what does that teach parents around them? Well, obviously nothing good, which is why the the case gained so much sympathy. Everybody understood, as you did, that, um, you know, what's more traumatic, <laughs> spending a couple hours with your friends at the park in the sprinkler park during the summer or finding out that your mom's in jail and you can't go see her, <laughs> you know, and you can't get out wherever you've been placed for 17 days. So what was what was galvanizing about that case is the obviousness of the, the, it was opposite day, right? Instead of making the kid safer, you've made the kid less safe. And instead of helping the mom, you have hurt the mom. And uh, actually there's a really nice John Stossel piece on YouTube about her and about this case now. And and the girl is so sweet and the mom is so nice. And I mean, I, 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 the bad thing about bringing these cases to public light is that people start worrying, is that going to happen to me? Um, which the answer is generally not. But the good thing about bringing these cases to light is that parents empathize. They love their kids. They know that everybody has to make some decisions that are, you know, somebody else. There's there's no two parents who think the same on anything. You know, solid food, organic food, uh, bedtime, how much homework, get a tutor, you know, travel league for soccer. Nobody agrees on anything. And so you don't want the government coming in like a, like a, a nasty neighbor and saying, well, that's not how I would do it. And I'm going to teach you a lesson. Mm-hmm. And so that's why That's why there's five entire states that are considering laws like this, because we want Child Protective Services to do a job. It's not like I don't think there should be Child Protective Services, because I like the idea that there is some oversight if there's some child who is being truly abused or neglected, right? That there's, if you see a kid coming to school and they're they're bruised and their bones are broken and there's no, you know, and they weren't sledding, (laughs) you know, then, um, you know, (laughs) it's good that that there is um, a safeguard, but the, 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 it, ha- it can't be the tripwire that it is now. I mean, there's over 7 million children get investigated every year. And I just, I was just writing about this, so I know the statistic, you know, everybody worries, but if it saves one child and I want to save one child too, I want to save all the children. Uh, but currently, uh, uh, two out of every 100,000 calls is a case of, uh, of abuse unto neglect unto death, which is horrible. But if you're investigating 99, you know, 998,000 children, then first of all, Child Protective Services is wasting a ton of its time on on really, you know, non-serious cases. And, and there's just, the mechanism is wrong. I mean, you can't have a system and call that a system that's working if it's two out of 100,000. There has to be a better system than that. And one of the things that is that is so wrong right now and, and that we're trying to change is to narrow those neglect laws. So simply seeing a kid walking home from the park or playing in the park or coming home with a latchkey, that doesn't merit an investigation. It has to be something more serious. Yeah, defining what neglect is so that neglect can't be letting your kids go home by themselves. That, I mean, that sounds reasonable and rational, but it sounds like there are a lot of people out there who disagree. Um, But also some, no, you go ahead. No, um, I think there are a lot of people, you know, we are, it's sort of a bigger issue. There's the whole, if you see something, say something, um, sort of zeitgeist out there. And that has trained us in a way to to overworry. Here in, in my city, New York City, if you're on the subway and you see uh, 
you know, an empty lunch bag, or you could see one of my kids' backpacks. I, you know, they've lost more than one backpack. Let me put it that way. But you're supposed to call the cops as if it's likely to be a an atom bomb. What is it? A, a suitcase bomb. And so we've been trained to sort of think, well, it seems okay to me, but maybe I should, t- you know, call the authorities. And that's what. Um, that's what would change if we change the the neglect laws. You could still call, but if I if you called and I said what seems to be the problem? I mean, actually, if you listen to the to the nine one one caller who called on the ten and six year old who were outside in Maryland, uh, the, the the lady asks uh, what seems to be the problem, and this guy said, "Well, there's these kids outside," and like, "Well, what's the matter?" It's like, "Well, nothing's really the matter, but well, tell me what happened." Well, they were talking to me and petting my dog, and then what? Well, then they seemed to walk home. It's like, so why are you calling? It's like, well, it seemed a little weird. Should they be out there? And that started the investigation. To me, with a if you narrow the um, the definition of neglect to, well, if they seemed okay and they didn't seem, you know, they weren't bleeding all over the place and they weren't emaciated unto starvation um, and they weren't doing anything other than walking home or, and stopping to pet your dog. Thank you very much. But actually I'm glad you're a concerned citizen, but that doesn't rise to the, to the level of needing an investigation. If anything, that's more of a reason not to go investigate the fact that you call and it's just these normal kids doing completely normal things mm-hmm. for people of all ages to stop and pet a dog. Um, <laughs> Something that I've seen here where I live, but also just what you've documented, what you've written about and focused on is the way that schools have been treating kids and kind of the changes in what schools do and kind of their elevation of safety at all costs. So can you tell us a little bit about what schools do and kind of some examples of what's been done in schools in regards to that? Yeah, I guess I can give you a few. I mean, one from when my kids, my kids are in their early twenties now, but when they were in school and went out to play at recess, if either of them fell, I would get a letter. Um, And I, I'm pretty sure that the school felt it had to send a letter both to, um, for liability reasons to say, we didn't trip the kid, (laughs) you know, the kid fell (laughs) on the playground and also, um, so that I wouldn't call and start screaming, what happened? What happened? I see a bruise on my son's knee, you know, tell me all. So that's just started being like, it's almost like the schools have to be always playing defensive. And so some schools started doing things like, like my kid's school, you couldn't run on the playground. You could run on the perimeter of the playground, but in the middle, you, you had to play like non-running games because kids could get hurt. There are schools that have banned tag. There are schools that um, there was a recent one that I, it was during COVID. Um, this kid brought a piece of there's this stuff called fiesta wear, and if and if we were doing video, I would go get my fiesta wear and show you. It's this these beautiful old plates from the 30s, mm-hmm. and uh, not that I'm from the 30s, mind you. The plates are from the 30s, and um, the kid <laughs> got one, I, I guess at a thrift shop or something, and he brought a little chip of it into in a in a plastic bag to his science class because. In the 30s, the um, one of the, the colors that they used in Fiesta Wear in the red color actually had radioactive something in it. I can't remember what, but it's kind of cool. Anyways, uh, nobody died from using Fiesta Wear, but he wanted to bring it in because they were going to trust a Geiger counter on it. Like, can you see it? You know, is it really going to go? Dee, 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 dee. So he brought it in on a Monday and the teacher said, this is great. You know, we can't wait to look at this. And, and it's COVID. So he was only there on Mondays and Thursdays. But on Friday, somebody must have said, you know, the teacher has a, has a chip of an old plate that might have very slight radioactivity that they're going to check out with a Geiger counter. And that was the end. I mean, then suddenly they called the police and the police called the hazmat people and the four hire trucks came and the hazmat guys and everybody's evacuated. There's something dangerous here. Woo, woo, woo. They went room to room as if there were like terrorists, radioactive bits of terrorists in each of these classrooms before the, okay, okay, and the kids could come back in, but then the kid wasn't, the actual kid with the plate was home because it was a COVID, a COVID at home day for him. And so then everybody raced over to the, over to his house, come out with your hands up. I don't know if it's come out with your hands up, but he had to come outside and they said, are you the child who brought the piece of fiesta wear, the, you know, the much beloved dinner plates that people have 
collecting for almost 100 years to school in a plastic bag, a tiny chip of it. And he's like, yeah. He said, well, that's kind of dangerous. He's like, no, I, I don't think you understand. <laughs> that's actually not dangerous. First of all, people used to eat off them. And secondly, it was a chip. And thirdly, it was <laughs> a, a piece of plastic. And fourthly, you guys are crazy. And um, and then the, I can't, I can't remember, but the district attorney was there. And sometimes it just seems like there's so little going on that it's exciting if you can get worried. You know, because then you have something to do. You can you can use the you know the siren, and you can go through red lights, and you could use the bullhorn, and you get to put on your hazmat suit. So, um, you know, that's that's from the outside. I feel bad for the teachers because it is almost like everything has to be seen through the lens of, you know, is my principal going to think that this is too lackadaisical? Are the parents going to yell at me for not being safe enough? Am I going to be sued? So there's. Uh, my kid's school, you had to write a, uh, you had to fill out a, um, a waiver for them to go to the park, which is like two blocks away. And so everything is sort of going through the, through the, I don't know if you lens or through the wall or whatever of what could be, what could, what could enrage the parents? What could create a lawsuit? What could hurt a kid? What could a kid tell somebody else about? And now I'm going to be on the line. I read somewhere and I think it was my own book that um, that principals are spending, I don't know, 5% of their time now or 20% of their time, um, you know, filling out forms and dealing with insurance claims because that's how we see life. It should be absolutely perfect. And if kid gets a scrape, somebody somewhere did something wrong and, you know, talk to my lawyer. That's, I mean, that reminds me that when I was in, I think, ninth grade biology, we would go on nature walks and we'd have to get a um a, for every single time well there were also so many like forms for that uh, so much paperwork having a child just seems like it comes with like two or three times their weight in paper mm-hmm. just from all the paperwork you have to fill out but that's a whole other story. Um, it's not a whole other story. It's the whole story. Because the other <laughs> thing is like, if you start filling out these forms, because, oh my God, she's going to the, um, when, when our kids went on their nature walk, which is like an, an overnight nature thing, the, we got this packet of information and and there was like a page for the kids. And it's like, you might be stung by a bee. What is a bee sting like? Well, at first it will really hurt, but then the bee goes away. And then pretty soon, like an hour later, if you haven't died of anaphylactic shock, you'll be smiling again, even though your arm will really hurt because bees sting. And it's like, ah, don't send them there. And you know, you're scaring the parent, you're scaring the kid. And it's all in the name of preparation and you know, not being taken by surprise by any bad thing that can happen. So they keep having to Imagine all the bad things that could happen. And so parents, we, we were talking at the beginning, like why are parents feeling like they have to be so overprotective? Well, if you've been told that going on a nature walk requires basically a notarized signature from your doctor, lawyer, and priest, you know, it starts seeming like the nature walk is pretty scary. And I'm not surprised that if the nature walk is bad, imagine sledding, you know, which is <laughs> movement in an icy circumstances. So that's why I feel like I don't ever blame parents. They've been told that anything their kids do could end tragically. And um, at one point I told my agent that I wanted to write a new book and I was going to call it quit imagining your kids dead. And she said, don't do that. (laughs) So I didn't. Um, But, but it is something that we're encouraged to do, Uh, you know, not in those words, but you're, I mean, like if you have to f- fill out a waiver to let you go on a nature walk, it's because what are waivers for? They're generally like before surgery or before you're an astronaut or something. It's not before you take a walk <laughs> in the woods. What What are some of the other misconceptions about kids and bringing up kids that are told to parents or that parents tell each other that convince them that it's not safe to leave their kids outside or to leave them at home? <laughs> so what we're saying is it's not safe to leave them inside or outside, <laughs> which boils down to it's not safe to ever leave your kids. That's that's all that they're told. And there's something that's, you know, the, if you sort of want a 30,000 foot overview, be careful, you're at 30,000 feet. Um, it's the idea that um, you should always be, you know, that something terrible might happen at any point. And if you're not thinking about that and preparing for it, 
then, you know, good luck to you. What, do you remember there was a case? Oh, you, you would have been maybe too little to hear about this. Uh, of the mom, uh, the family was at a, a zoo in Cincinnati and the kid fell into the gorilla cage. Do you remember this from a few years ago? No, but I heard one about a crocodile at one point. The crocodile is really awful. So let's talk about the gorilla. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They're all awful. I mean, so the the kid calls into the gorilla cage. You can't apparently just stun the gorilla with a tranquilizing gun because it takes too long to tranquilize them. And in the meantime, the gorilla could kill the baby. So they killed the gorilla, which is horrible. And it was tragic all around. Thank God the kid is fine. Um, What was upsetting to me is that people we're so mad at the mom for quote unquote, letting this happen. And it's like, you know, and and they were saying like, well, you go to the zoo, you should be prepared. And it's like, I go to the zoo, but I'm not prepared that they've built the zoo so poorly that chances are likely that if I turn to get a diaper or, you know, goldfish snacks out of the stroller, my kid is going to end up in the gorilla cage. It's, it's unlikely. And, and yet because something bad happened, people looked backwards and pretended like she was neglectful for not thinking about that possibility. And it's like, well, and also didn't you think that like a giant yak could come and, you know, eat the child or a, or a bird could come and carry the, the child away? I mean, you, they were mad at her for not thinking of such a rare case that I've never heard of another case like this ever in my life. <laughs> so, so there's something strange about the culture that likes to blame parents for fate for, you know, for, for strange and awful and completely unpredictable fate. And, and that goes back to believing that if you only think enough and fill out enough of these forms and worry enough and prohibit everything like sledding, you can keep your kid perfectly safe. And any kid who isn't perfectly safe, it's a failure of the parent. And that's changed since when I was a kid. Cause I feel like if something bad happened to a kid in the olden days, um, and it was, pretty much unpredictable, you would sympathize with the parent instead of immediately hating on the parent. It seems to be the case a lot all over the place now is kind of what I've been thinking about more and more. It's like, oh, we just point and we're like, that's an example of exactly what not to do. Let's hate on them. Let's cancel them for that, actually. Perfect example that is kind of related. It makes me think that the only solution is you have to keep your kid on a leash and fasten the leash to your waist at all times. Otherwise, I don't know, your kid could trip on the sidewalk if they're not connected to you. But there, the thing that I also think about when I, that thought comes into my head is that there are products on the market that kind of give the idea that that's normal, that that is, that's a possibility to keep your child safe. So can you talk about that sort of stuff a little bit and just what there is out there that kind Uh, of gives this idea? (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of products out there. I have fun with them. Um, Just writing my book, a second edition of my book, and I have a chapter in there. um, It's the Free Range Kids book, and the chapter is called uh, boycott baby knee pads and the rest of the safety industrial complex. And as I'm writing this, I'm on a mommy blogger list. And so I get all these pitches for products and books and stuff. And I got another pitch for another baby knee pad company. Like, I can't believe it. <laughs> Don't you guys read who you're sending this to? I'm like the anti-baby knee pad mom. And, um, <laughs> and what was so interesting to me about the pitch was that I'm not going to make you try to look through my, wait for me to look through my files again, because I realize that takes forever. But it was, it said something like, you know, your child is about to start crawling, but yikes, Arena. Uh, what if, you know, thank God these are, these are progressive crawlers is what they're called. And they were invented by a, um, a physical therapist, a child, you know, a children's physical therapist. And that's what interests me. Uh, you're asked to buy something that was invented by somebody who deals with children who have difficulties, who need physical therapy, right? Um, But if your child doesn't have any of those issues, you're nonetheless supposed to buy this. And so we're all supposed to sort of be constantly using like early intervention for everything, even when a kid is fine. And that's, that's what all the products end up doing. I mean, there's products that you can like uh, there's, there's a spoon 
that changes color if the food is hot. Like you couldn't possibly figure that out on your own. There's this thing that you can put like a strawberry or a piece of food in that's a mesh bag. And then you have your kids sort of chew on the mesh bag, which seems so gross. But that way they're never going to get anything too big that they could choke on, except for the mesh bag, of course, which I think would be the worst. Um, you know, there's there's all sorts of Consumer Product Safety Commission recalls of, you know, a T-shirt or a... Um, there was a there were, there were some shoes that were recalled because the the grommet the little thing that is you know your shoelace goes through a hole and the hole has a little thing that is a circle like one of those came out and of course that's mm-hmm. a choking hazard so all of life is rewritten as a hazard you know eating crawling wearing shoes uh, going out the door uh, sledding. It's just, it's it's actually pretty inventive. I mean, it's like if the Renaissance was coming up with new ways of perspective and new ways to make paint, our culture is coming up with new things to be afraid of and new products to prevent the thing that probably would never happen in a million years, but now you've got the product. That's, I don't even know. Some of that just kind of makes me, I all I can do is shake my head and laugh, but mm-hmm. I don't even want to laugh because it's and, and so frankly, you didn't. <laughs> you might have shaken your head, but I didn't hear a single laugh. <laughs> so I well, I'd already seen some of it, so I'd had my laughs oh, okay. before. There you go. But but it's it's this weird thing when I hear stuff like that. I'm like, I want to laugh at you, but also the fact that you think that for I don't know, the entire time that the human race has been around. We've been crawling before we've walked and everyone that is perfectly average Mm -hmm. has been completely fine. Mm -hmm. The fact that there's now a concern, Mm -hmm. but now we have carpets (laughs) more than before you were crawling on like rocks and dirt. (laughs) Now you can crawl on a carpet. Is that not enough? I don't know. Um, It's not enough. I mean, that's also, I mean, the inventiveness is sort of, you know, you could sort of give it a high five in a certain way in that, you know, if you can come up with a product and you can scare a parent and you could sell it, well, okay, <laughs> you know, that is the marketplace. You've created a market. So it's just the undermining of people's trust in human development, in themselves, in their children's resilience. And that's that's what gets me is the idea that um, – Parents are being told that their kids are so fragile that crawling could damage them and that they're so likely to fall behind or, or be hurt that they should be heeding the advice of a baby physical therapist, even if they're lucky enough to have a healthy baby, right? I had never even heard of a baby physical therapist. Well, it sounds kind this, of funny because it almost is, sounds like the baby is the physical therapist. <laughs> so it's like, wow, what a, what a yeah. genius your child is. <laughs> um, a physical therapist for babies, let's say that. No, my friend is one, an occupational <laughs> therapist, and, it, and it's great. She does early intervention, and God bless her. She goes into homes where kids have physical problems, and you know, before – you know, before it gets too late, starts getting them, like teaching them how to sit up and teaching them how to walk. Because in those cases, it wasn't going to kick in automatically. But in the cases where it is going to kick in automatically, um, it's almost extravagant to pretend like you should be using those same resources that are needed by the people in, in tough situations. It seems like kind of just a waste of time and money and all of that. Um, but I mean, it is kind of impressive that they can make products like that. But it's sad that people with children that are completely fine buy into that sort of stuff. But I don't know. There's still hope. I mean, oh you God, do what you yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. Can you tell us a bit about some of the projects that you've done and kind of some of the things you've started in order to not really reverse the effects, but kind of fight the helicopter parenting? protective, your kid can't do anything situation? Yes. Thank you for asking. So Mm. as you know, I started free range kids. And then about four years ago, um, some people came to me, including Jonathan Haidt, who wrote the coddling of the American mind and said, Mm -hmm. there's, you know, we don't 
we don't mean to be doing this, but it's a culture that's treating young people as if they're fragile. And that must be starting pretty young. And who's fighting this culture of overprotection that's undermining kids? And they came to me and they said, let's start a nonprofit together. So we started Let Grow, which is not let's grow. It's not let it go. It's not let it grow, which would be gross. It's just let grow. And um, so we always come up with different slogans, but one of them is um, when adults step back, kids step up. But we've just spent the last hour talking about how hard it is to step back if you've been told that. Um, you know, your kid is going to get a concussion if they sled and they're going to, you know, bleed to death if they fall on the pavement and they're going to drive to Vegas and sell their blood if you give them a car without, you know, a tracker on it. So, so what do we, how can we let parents see the good side of parenting? Like, how can we give them this wonderful confidence in their kids and how can we give the confidence to the kids at the same time? And confidence comes from, I'd say what you're doing right now, doing something, doing something hard. Frankly, I've been terrified. I tried doing a podcast. It was really hard. So kudos to you. Um, so, so we have something Thank called the, so it's the let grow project. Let me, let me flog it for a minute here. So the let grow project, which you can find at letgrow.org is free. So it's not like I'm trying to sell you something for $29.99. And it's a a homework assignment that teachers give kids. And the kids go home and it says, Mom, Dad, look, here's my assignment. It says I have to do something on my own, something new without you. My homework assignment is to do something new without you, preferably outside the house. And the parents are like, oh, we never let you do that. It's like, but it's homework. (laughs) It's like, oh, all right. And there's a list. And the list is totally not comprehensive. It's like, you know, climb a tree, walk the dog, go to school, you know, walk to school, go on an overnight, make dinner, visit grandma down the hall, whatever it is. You and uh, the parent and the kids choose together. And then the kid goes and does it. And the reason this is such an important thing, even though it sounds so basic and obvious, is that. When the kid comes back, like when my kid comes back from the subway ride, when your kid comes back from getting a gallon of milk, when your kid comes back having ridden her bike to the library or gone down the street to the friend, and they walk through the door and they're proud, right? And they did it and they're excited and they can't wait to tell you about it. And maybe they're a little sweaty and hungry. You, the parent, have this epiphany. You are so happy. You are ecstatic. And I've watched it over and over again. You asked about my television show, World's Worst Mom. That's all I do. I took really overprotective parents, sent their kids away to do something and watched the parents when the kids come home. And the parents are like, look at my kid. That's my boy. And it is that excitement, that pride, that shattering of the illusion that your kid was this little baby who was going to hurt their knees if they crawled. And then seeing he's a young man and he rode his bike and he brought the juice for dinner. Um, that is transformative and it transforms the parents and therefore it transforms the kids because now the parent sees this kid as blossoming, as growing into a beautiful young woman like you or a beautiful young man and not just a baby or a bonsai tree or an embryo or an egg, you know? And so, so I highly, highly, highly recommend anybody who's listening, who has any connection to teachers or if you, I'm assuming that your kids are, you know, your listeners are probably your age. So if you have little brothers or sisters, suggest that the parents or the school consider doing the Let Grow project because it doesn't take class time, doesn't take money, and it changes it changes things. I mean, we've heard about neighborhoods where the people were doing, you know, where the school was doing the Let Grow project, and then kids start going to the grocery or kids start riding their bikes and even roller skating. I mean, it just changes things. You know, you were talking about what's going to happen in the future. This is an easy thing. I'm hoping that the Lecro project, when it gets adopted by a bunch of schools, starts becoming as as common as PE class and way better because I hated PE class. So, um, you know, that's that's one of the things we're doing. Right. And then the other big Let Grow initiative is what we call the Let Grow Play Club, which is just to keep a school open before or after school for free play. All the kids, different ages, different everything. And there's an adult there crouching in the corner, smoking a cigarette, has an EpiPen, and they're not solving any of the spats. They're not organizing any of the games. They're just there for liability purposes. And the kids make things happen and argue and and have fun and deal with you know, the bully or the frustration or the ball that I said was in and you said was out. And we learn how to deal with each other again. 
And that's just another simple one that also doesn't cost any money. So the Lecro Project and the Lecro Play Club are our two school initiatives. And then, of course, um, we're trying to get these laws passed that that define that narrow the definition of neglect. I mean, that's wonderful. And I definitely can see that changing the course of, well, where we're going now if we don't have that sort of change. If we just let parenting get worse and worse in the sense that, oh, my kid is fragile. My can't, my kid can't do anything. I need to be there. I need to cut every piece of his food <laughs> or he needs to eat through a mesh bag. Then Imagine I, eating I think a piece of meat <laughs> through a mesh bag. That's an interesting mashup there. It's like, that'd be really frustrating. I'm just wondering, I did not hear, I think I'm going to have to look that one up. How big are the holes? How does that work? I, you know, that's, there, that, like, it's in that, like, if you go to a regular, like a Walgreens in the aisle where there's baby this and baby that, you'll see it. Oh, well, maybe I'll go look for it later. I'm kind of curious. Mm-hmm. I feel like I, part of me wants to try it out because <laughs> that's I a great idea. Like, that's a great idea. Make can, a video. <laughs> I'll put it on my site. Make a video. I will. I'll do that then. That's I'll, a great I'll send idea. it. Funny. <laughs> so, okay. Last question before the final question. Oh, okay. Because I've been thinking I, about the final I'm, question. <laughs> I've been thinking a lot that this process of changing the parents, of letting them agree to, especially on the show, letting parents, like, or getting parents to agree to let their kids try something or to let that to let you take them to go do something on their own mm-hmm. what do you have to tell them is it like a statistic a story does it take a lot a lot a lot of persuasion what is that process what does it look like well so on the television show um it took a contract <laughs> you know if they want me to come like one family had me come so these are very overprotective families the the production company it was, it was done by Discovery, interviewed 2,000 families to find me the 13 most attractive but overprotective families that they could. And, um, and why would a family even have me come? It was generally because there was something was reaching a breaking point. I mean, you wouldn't have me come if everything was fine. But for instance, in the first family uh, that I helped out, it was a mom who had her 10-year-old son from a previous marriage, had married a guy, married a guy who had a six-year-old from his previous marriage, and he gave the six-year-old all this freedom that the mom didn't give her 10-year-old. So it was mm-hmm. tension between the the two kids and then between the mom and the dad because the mom, you know, because the contrast was so great. For instance, the 10-year-old was not allowed to ride a bike, but the six-year-old was. So that's friction. So for me to say, okay, I'm wow. going to teach your kid how to ride a bike today, it's horrible, but at least it's somebody else is taking the burden. I'm saying, I'm going to do it. You must do it. And in a way, that's what the Let Grow Project does. It's like, it's not, I mean, parents who've been so worried that if they let their kid do anything and something terrible happens, it's going to be their fault, have somebody else to blame. It's, oh, it's a project for school. Oh, Lenore says to do it. So it was really a question of feeling like something was coming to a head and having somebody else push. And that was me. And that's also what the project does on its own. It's just a little nudge to get something to happen. And um, what was amazing about that show was that the, the final week that we were, the, the week that we were filming the last family, I printed out all these letters that had been written to me by the families that we had um, helped earlier because I said, you know, you guys are working on a reality show. Nobody believes that reality TV is reality. I've been here. We've all seen it. Here are the letters from the moms after the cameras went home. After there's there's no upside to telling me anything because we're done. The, the episode is in the can. And it was like, you won't believe it. Now my son is going to overnight camp. My kid is starting, you know, my kids are going to baseball now on their own in the morning. You won't believe it. I let my kids go into the bathroom by themselves at Chuck E. Cheese, which I'd never done before. And it was like little victories <gasps> and big wow. victories. And that's why I feel like One of the things I'm excited about now with Let Grow is um, anybody wants to give us a donation, we want, I mean, first of all, do. Secondly, um, the next frontier is research because I feel like if we're seeing the kids are becoming so anxious and depressed in, you know, your generation um, and independence Mm -hmm. is, is the antidote, let's test it out. Let's see if independence is actually a therapy that hasn't been used because if it is, it's free. 
<laughs> right? You could have all these schools getting all these kids <clears throat> to do their LECRO projects and kids grow up sort of like PE was supposed to get kids back in shape. Well, let them do the LECRO project and it makes parents breathe easier. It makes kids more bold. It gets kids back outside. It renormalizes seeing kids outside. So you don't call 911 when you see a kid at the park. So I really feel like once we get some, <laughs> some, some research on the psychological front, like real studies of using independence as an intervention, as a psychological intervention, that's going to have a big impact on, on parents and on the world. I think that is also a good next step because then all the mommy bloggers will see the numbers and they'll be like, wow, yeah. it works. Maybe that's that's the next big thing. That's what we need to try. Um, so finally, what is one thing you believed at one time in your life that you later changed your position on and why? Oh, um, so I've been trying to think of that all night. And um, I, I'm going to end on a, you know, not with a bang, but a whimper. Uh, mangoes. <laughs> mangoes. I used to think mangoes were the gross, gross, disgusting, slimy fruit, vomiting, and vomit-inducing. And now I love them. And that's it. Mangoes. I think that's good. That's a pretty happy note. A lot of the time <laughs> people have said they've changed their mind about things that are, I don't know, kind of just – depressing topics and kind of sad but that's kind of, that's good you you grew i grew that's right uh, me and me and mangoes actually, are a thing now <laughs> i actually used to not like mangoes also but now i do like them so together we both did hey, that <laughs> my soul sister <laughs> so thank you so much for being on the podcast oh this was really fun for me and um Gosh, you know, if any of your – are your listeners your age? I mean, I have no idea who listens to you. Yeah, so it's a lot of kids my age, but it's also a good amount of adults mm -hmm. because, I don't know, I guess I – yeah, it's people all ways. ages. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, um, you know, anybody wants to get in touch, feel, feel free. If you, you go to info at Let Grow, it eventually winds its way to me. So please do. Yeah, of course. And listeners, listen to that and check out Let Grow. It very informative. Lots of lots of examples of that sort of stuff. Good examples, bad examples, scary examples that make you wonder what parents are thinking. Um, <laughs> it's not parents. But, it's not parents. It's a culture that I mean, like my mom was a worrier. Right, I come from good worrying stock, and yet she let me walk to school at age five by myself. And the crossing guard was ten because that culture believed in kids, and our culture is telling parents to always be worried. So it's not individual crazy parents helicoptering, annoying, hovering jerks. It's a culture, and we're trying to change the culture. So, correction: what <laughs> society is thinking and go. what the government is kind of promoting by listening to this sort of stuff and by getting pressured by this sort of stuff, but also the good changes, the laws, the steps that Let Grow is taking to change things. So I would like to thank Lenore once again. And I would also like to thank all of you, my subscribers, everyone who listens, everyone who shares. Um, and if you would like to be on the podcast or if you have any suggestions reach out and send me an email at thegreatantidote at thecgo.org.